1: Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for gathering us together this morning. This is so wonderful that we as brothers and sisters, Lord, that are united around our Lord Jesus Christ. And it just reminds us, Lord, of the time when you came back and they held your feet. And that's what we want to do this morning, Lord, as we open your word, cause us to see you clearly now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 23 and verse 1. And, uh, I'll try to stay focused this morning. I started off in the breaking of the bread, giving thanks for the cup when it was the bread, but apart from that, everything went fine. (laughs) Genesis 23, 1 through 4. Sarah was 107 and 20 years old, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Arba, which is the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I might bury my dead out of my sight. So in our last study, what we did is we saw in verse 1 the age of Sarah when she died, as it says there, which it's given to us. She was 107 and 20 years old. And then it says, these are the years of the life of Sarah. Now we're told that the age of Sarah, when Isaac was born, we were given that back in Genesis 17. Sarah figured out how old she was going to be. I'm sorry, Abraham figured this out. And it says that Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's 100 years old, and shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? So he figured out the whole thing. She was going to be 90 years old. So quick math tells us that, that if Sarah was 127 years old when she died, and Isaac was born when she was 90, how old was Isaac? And He was 37 years old when his mother died. And Isaac as a person was very attached to his mother, Sarah, and we see just how attached he was to Sarah, how it describes Rebecca, what Rebecca actually did for Isaac when he married her, when it says a little bit farther ahead in Genesis 24, 67, it says, and Isaac brought her that's rebecca into his mother sarah's tent and took rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her and isaac was comforted after his mother's death So what we read there is that Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife in his mother's tent, and that's how Isaac, it says, he was comforted after his mother's death. So that verse indicates that Isaac was pretty attached to Sarah, so he probably he had no interest in a wife. I mean, what would he want a wife for? Because then he had to leave his mother, and that would be a tragedy. That was a problem because Isaac, he had to have children. And you know how it goes with no wife, no children. So, you know, with mother living, no wife. So anyway, it was only when Sarah died that Isaac was motivated or jarred away from his mama to get ready to accept a wife. And Isaac brought Rebecca into Sarah's tent. I'm not sure what Rebecca thought about that, but anyway, it doesn't matter. And then he loved, but the point is, is that Rebecca loved Isaac. Isaac loved Rebecca. It was Isaac's marriage to Rebecca. That was the only way for him to be comforted after her death. So Isaac was a mama's boy. Now we thought last week about this statement in verse one. It told us that Sarah was 127 years old when she died. For us, 127 years is a long time. No one lives to 127 years today except for Muriel Poole and shall outlive us all. <laughs> but it says that those were the years of her life you know this is the thing we live life and we just think we're never going to die and that's the way the people in this world live their life as if they're never going to die they're never going to have to face god they think i'm never going to have to face god i'm never going to have to give an account of my life which is really what death represents and that's how they live but that's not how the bible directs us as believers to live it says in james 4 13 through 15 it says, go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, you know, there's a, the, what's that? That's vision. That's looking down the future It says, well, you know, here's what I'm going to do. And I'm excited about it. I'm going to go there and I'm going to buy and sell and make a profit. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing except that James says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. You don't know. Then what is your life? He says, it's even a vapor. It's just gone. It's just a vapor. And it it appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. And that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live this or do that. So there's nothing wrong with going and buying and selling and making profit, but always in the context of if that's what God wills, because at any moment, he could pull our card. And James describes our lives as a vapor for that reason. In other words, it's for a moment. Job says this, man that's born of a woman is of few days. And full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth away also as a shadow and continueth not. So Job describes life as it's a few days, and those few days are full of trouble. He says. And then he says life is like a flower. Now you know what it's like when you get a bouquet of flowers. You know that you have a short time, that you're gonna enjoy them, you are gonna wither they quickly die. He says that's what our life is like. Our life is like a shadow. It just runs away. And John uses the fact that the world is passing away as an argument for us to not love the world. He says in first John two fifteen through seventeen, he says love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him and then he says it makes this inclusive verse all that's in the world in other words everything that's in the world number one the lust of the flesh number two the lust of the eyes number three the pride of life it's not of the father it's of the world and the world passes away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of god abideth forever so john he describes it this way Job goes on and he describes further life. He says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. You know, you can see a weaver in the shuttle and then going back and forth. And he sat down and he watched that and he says, Boy, that weaver is really fast with that shuttle. He's really weaving fast. And he said, That's what my day is like. My days are like. That's what my life is like. It's like that shuttle. He goes on. He says the same thing. James says in Job 8, 9, Job says, Our days upon earth are a shadow. the a shadow. He sat there. Job, we can picture him. He sat there, and he watches the sun that comes up. He sees the shadow appear. Then he sees the shadow disappear, and he says, That's my life. And he says in another place in Job nine twenty five through 26, Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. Verse 26. They are passed away as swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. In other words, he says, our days, they go by so fast, they're like a runner who's carrying the post. I say in those days, runners who would run very fast. And we have a picture of that when they brought the news to David about Absalom, very fast. And we can see again, Job sitting there, he says, you see how fast that runner is running? That's my life, it's passing like that. Or he says, you see how fast that ship is moving through the water? That's my life. Or he says, you see how that eagle is up there and then all of a sudden it's dived toward a prey? He says, that's my life. He says, all of these pictures. And so David says in Psalm 39, four through five, as what we're supposed to do, he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, make me to know mine end. And the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am." See, we need that. We need that. And so David says, help me to understand my end is approaching. Help me to understand that my days are measured. There's a measure of my days. And help me just to understand how frail I am. You know, we think we're so strong, we have insurances for everything. But David says, no, no, no. We need God to show us how absolutely frail we are. And then he says, behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breath. From here, here to here, as far as you can spread your hand. He said, this is the length, this is my timeline of my life. That's what David's saying. He says, mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And then he doesn't want you to just run away from that thought, so he puts a sila in there. In other words, stop and think about that a little bit. So he prays this prayer, and that should be our prayer too. And now David has another analogy for the length of our lives. He says, my days, in Psalm 102, verse 3, he said, for my days are consumed like smoke. He calls it smoke, and my bones are burned as on a hearth. This a smoke, again, it's like the vapor, you know, just the wind comes, it blows it away. And Peter taught us about our lives where it says, in 1 Peter 1, 24-25, he says, for all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The, what happens with the grass? It withers, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord, by contrast, the word of the Lord, it endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So this is how the Bible describes our lives. It's a vapor, it's a flower, it's a shadow, it's like a weaver's beam, it's a runner, it's a breath of a hand, it's a smoke. That's how God wants to impress us with verse 1 when it says that Sarah was 127 years old when she died. Then we read a very interesting description when it says there in verse 1, you notice that it says she was 127 years old when she died. That's the first part of the verse. And then it says, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. Now, you read that verse and you say to yourself, wait a minute, didn't we already know that? (laughs) I mean, it says, you know, the first part says she was 127 years old when she died. So why do we now have this statement, these were the years of the life of Sarah? Well, you know, God, he's not redundant just to be redundant's sake. He's saying something here. He's got a message to us here when it said these are the years of the life of Sarah. And it's important for us to get this message. It's as if God is putting his hands together like this. And he said, you see this right here? Book one. These are the years of the life of Sarah right in here. That's where they And he's trying to explain. He's telling us those 127 years were the time that Sarah had on earth those were the years of her opportunity you say opportunity for what those 127 years were sarah's opportunity to live a life by faith and not by sight according to second corinthians 5 7. those 127 years that sarah had was her opportunity every day those 127 years to get up every morning and meet with god and give herself to god in the morning you know, there was a, an old African preacher who was a big man, and he never got married, and he used to say, every morning I'd wake up in the morning, and he said, i throw the covers off, and I'd say, oh, God, this bed is the altar, and I'm the sacrifice. <laughs> That's an opportunity every day for 127 years. Every day for 127 years. That was Sarah's opportunity to believe God. Believe God. Those 127 years were Sarah's opportunities to trust God and not lean to her own understanding, as it says in Proverbs 3:5 through 6. Those were her opportunity days to acknowledge God in all her ways, as it says in the same verses. Those were her opportunities to pray in the Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 6:18. Those were 127 years of her opportunity to rejoice in the Lord through hardship. She had a lot of those opportunities in Philippians 4:4. 4, 4. Those were the days of her opportunity to submit to God, to resist the devil, as it says in James 4.7. Those 127 years were the opportunity days for her to obey her husband, as it says in 1 Peter 3.1, which is what Sarah is known for in 1 Peter 3.6, as we saw last week. Those 127 years were her opportunity to love the Lord with all of her heart, with all of her soul, with all of her mind, and all of her strength, as it says in Mark 12:30. Those were her days of opportunity, those 127 years, to preach the good news that God receives sinful men, as it says in Mark 16:15. So when it says at the end of verse 1, these were the years of the life of Sarah, it's telling us that her opportunity to do all those things on Earth, it came to a close. it came to a close, and the opportunities were gone at that point and that 's a challenge for us because one day it 's going to be written about each one of us those were the years of Tom, the life of Tom, those were the years of the life of Don and those were the years of the life of Beverly, and those were the years of the life of Muriel there'll be a lot of those years and, <laughs> and those were the years of the opportunity to walk by faith and not by sight, and the opportunity to meet with God every morning, the opportunity to give ourselves to God and believe God and trust God and not lean to our understanding and acknowledge him in in all our ways, and to pray to God, to rejoice in God, to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and love God with all our heart and preach the gospel. Those are the years of the life of Sarah. And when our years are over, they're over, just like with Sarah, as it says. These are the years of the life of Sarah, and when those years are gone, those are gone. And when they're over, then we'll be able to look back over the years of our life, and then we'll have to give an account for that. We'll give an account of how well we did walk by faith and not by sight. Give ourselves to God, believe God, not lean to our understanding, resist the devil, submit to God, love God, preach the gospel, etc., and Solomon, King Solomon, he taught us this. He said in 1 Kings 8, 39, he says, he prays, he says, Give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. So this concept of we're going to be judged by this, as David said in Psalm 62, 12, For thou renderest to every man according to his work. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 16:27, "For the Son of man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works." And he says in Revelation 2:23, "The Lord Jesus says, all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works." And then in the, in the end of the Bible, in, in Revelation 12, 22, 12, he says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work. This is all the background. This is all the basis for what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians five ten, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he done, whether it be good or bad. Now, there's another sense another point in which we look at the last part of verse 1 in Genesis 23, it says, these are the years of the life of Sarah. It's not the years of the life of Sarah and Abraham. It's the years of the life of Sarah, just Sarah. These were the years of the life of Sarah. She stood alone, apart from Abraham. We never have read in Genesis, and we never will read in Genesis, and God spoke to Abraham and Sarah. That's why it's best for a husband to have his own quiet time alone with God, and for a wife to have her own quiet time alone with God. And then it's fine for them to have a time together with God, but there must be this alone time for each of them individually. Abraham was married to Sarah when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, but when God called Abraham, God made a point of how he called Abraham in Isaiah 51-2, where he told the the Jewish nation, he said, Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him, not them, I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. See, God called Abraham alone. Sarah learned that God had called them to leave because Abraham told Sarah, probably. And the same was true of Adam in Genesis 2, where we read in Genesis two sixteen through 18, where it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, the next verse is important. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a help for him. So what does that mean? It means that when God told Adam that, he was alone. Obviously, we know that. But he was alone. And so God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before Eve was even created. And after God told Adam not to eat of the tree, then God created Eve. So Eve learned that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because Adam told her Sarah had her own life with God and Abraham had his own life with God. And so then we said that that land that says here, the land of Canaan was where she died. And that was a land. We look at the land of Canaan. We should think to ourselves, and how did she think to herself? She looked at that land and said, that's my promised land. That's the land that God promised to us It's as much as Sarah's as much as Abraham because God saw them both as one. But it says she died in the land of Canaan. So for 60 years, she looks out of her tent, and she sees this land that's occupied and possessed by the most ungodly people. And she gets impressed as she's looking at there. But this is the land that God has promised to us. And this land is not being inhabited by people who honor God and love God and obey God. And she dies that way. She dies. She dies. She never saw the land of promise become her land. That land was promised to Abraham and Sarah, but she died without receiving it. She believed that she would receive it, but when she died, she hadn't received it. She died in faith. And she died in faith, believing God's going to keep that promise, but she didn't see it in her day. And that scene of Sarah looking over a land that was promised to her and then dying without receiving it, that's a perfect picture of what it says in Hebrews 11:13. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, didn't receive, but they saw them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced them, confessed they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. We're all going to die, more than likely, now in faith, uh, faith, looking forward to receiving God's promise, as he said in John 14, where he see, promises heaven, but we're not going to be like Enoch, we're going to die in faith, and that's the way it's going to be. But yet while we're alive, we see heaven afar off, like she did, We see the promise of God afar off in the word of God as we read it. So this is the way this chapter opens here in these words. And chapter 23 is opening this way. Chapter 23 is also opening as we read it with, we thought about Sarah now, but now we want to think about Abraham and what chapter 23 represents for Abraham is a whole new trial for the friend of God. I mean, here's Abraham. He's a friend of God. And now he has to part with his friend, his best human friend on earth, Sarah. It's hard to imagine as he's there and he saw all the memories and the thoughts that went through Abraham's mind. And now this new trial has just come here, she died, And it comes right on the heels of the trial of having to offer up Isaac. See, we can see this is what this is showing here. This is like, oh man, doesn't he get a rest? Doesn't the poor guy get a break? It's like one trial after another. And there's a lesson for us there. There's a Job, he puts it this way in Job 5, seven: Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. In Job 14.1, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, full of trouble. You know, sparks for us. We can picture him sitting there watching a grinding wheel, and it's throwing off sparks. And he sees one spark after another, and he says, that's my life. He said, those sparks are the trouble, and that's my life. One trouble after another, and this is what we as believers are to expect as well. God did not promise Abraham, I'm going to keep you out of troubles. And God did not promise Job, I'm going to keep you out of troubles. And God does not promise us that he's going to keep us out of trouble. But even though we are not promised to be kept from troubles, we are promised to have a friend in those troubles that's six closer than their brother. And in Proverbs 18, 24, as it says, that friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. As it says, it says in Hebrews 13, 5, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So even though we're not promised to be kept from troubles, we are promised to have this friend. We're promised also to have a special comforter in the, sent to comfort us through each one of those troubles, each one of those trials. That comforter we know is the Holy Spirit of Christ. He's the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he said in John 14, 26. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, which, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He said in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So if we ask, if we ask this question, how's the Comforter going to comfort us through in all the troubles that we go through? He's going to comfort us, he says, by teaching you all things. Teaching from what? The Word of God. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. He's going to cause us to remember what? What the Lord Jesus Christ has said to us in the Word of God. He's the Spirit of truth. That's how we know him. This is the Spirit of truth. As we read about the Word of God, as he said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. He's going to testify of me. He's going to confirm who the Lord Jesus Christ is as we learn about him from the Word of God. All this comfort he brings is through the Word of God. And if we neglect the Word of God, then we're in trouble because we miss the comfort. Now, we see in verse 3 that the death of Sarah caused Abraham to just broke him. He was bent over evidently in mourning and weeping so much that when Abraham stops mourning and weeping, it says in verse 3 that Abraham stood up from before his dead.
0: Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere.